0: Well, Pastor Crocker has the week off to this week, so y'all get me on my very first sermon. I'm the pastoral intern here, and my name is Ashley Winger. Um, if y'all wouldn't mind, if you would read with me because I brought the wrong Bible that has a little bit different text. So, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflowed into our lives, so also through the Christ our comfort overflows. <laughs> now, being a pastoral intern is tough. You you, get, you you just get thrown into things sometimes before you're ready. Hence, preaching. Um, But they gave me the scripture, and I was going, okay, I can do this. But then I read the scripture, and it got me thinking back to the first time I was an intern. I actually was an intern for hospital settings for a while, and I was so excited because the scripture actually serves as one of the foundational blocks in which I give pastoral care. So I figured I'd teach you all how I learned how to give pastoral care through the scripture. So when I first started out in ministry, I, I was working in Houston, and I started working at St. Luke's Hospital and Texas Children's Hospital. They were right across from each other, so I was just jumping back and forth. And basically, what I was doing is just going from patient room to patient room, and I was just cheering everybody up, and I was just going, life can't get much better than this. I'm, all I'm doing is acting like my idol, Pollyanna, every day. So I was just... I was a little bit of shocked when I got my first on-call experience. It was about a week and a half in, and when you're on call, you actually had to spend the night at the hospital and answer all of the pages for the entire hospital. And I got my first page, and it said code blue. I was going, oh. Well, code blue at this hospital meant that there was a cardiac arrest. And so I got to experience my first code. And when there's a code, there's about 30 people that just all rush into one room. And it's pretty, when you see it for the first time, you're like, wow. And so I I was pretty amped up. And then I found out that an 8-year-old little girl had just passed away. So then my job starts kicking in. And I'm going to talk to the family and help them through this. And I'm sitting here waiting and waiting. And I'm going, okay, what am I going to do? There's a, in the hospital floor that I was on, there was a big center section. The whole floor was a big rectangle and all the patients rooms were in around the rectangle and the nurses station was right in the center and that's where I was sitting waiting for the family to come now when this family came in it was like a whirlwind just walked on the floor the mother and father had looks of just they were anxious and scared and they were really really angry and they were, it was just completely unnerving to watch it, not because, not because of just their stature, but because of their size as well. The, the father was easily over 6'2", and he probably weighed a minimum of 260. And he worked in construction, so he was lifting boards all the time. So this guy, I mean, just muscles everywhere. And the wife was probably about 5'11", but she was one of those women. That when she experienced emotion, you saw it in her face and in her body, and you knew she was there. She was just a ball of fire. Now, they had three kids behind them, and they were just kind of, they were they were very different from their parents. They were very, very calm, and they were very quiet, and they were just trying to hurry and keep up with their parents. Now, when they finally got to this front desk area, the head nurse and I just kind of ushered the, the children over, and we were standing right in front of the patient's room and just kind of talking to the kids. And that allowed the doctor to tell the two parents what happened. Now, all of a sudden, we just heard this huge roar. And the dad is screaming at the doctor. So the head nurse, who has a little bit better of an idea what to do at this time, opens the patient's door and just grabs the oldest son and pushes him in the room. It's hard to can. And I grab the youngest daughter under one arm and the oldest, the older daughter, and I start pulling him in to the room. Now, as I'm pulling in, I look over, and I see the pa- where the patient is, or when, where the doctors are, and the dad is leaning over, and he just reaches back, and he just cold-cocks the doctor. Now, this doctor was not more than my size. Maybe He had, maybe had about 20 pounds on me. So he just, I mean, he just lied out flat, and... <laughs> And I walk as soon as I walk in the door, I slam that door shut. And I look at the head nurse and I am like, he just punched him. And she looks at me and she goes, You gotta go out there. <laughs> and with every bit of professionalism that I was just exuding in my first week and a half of work, I, I look at her and I said, Dude, you have got to be kidding. I weigh a buck oh five. I am not going out there. And she looks at me and she goes, well, that's why it's got to be you. And I just look at her, and she said, Ashley, when there's a code, everyone has to do their job. If they don't, someone gets hurt. You are the chaplain. You were in charge of the family. Go. And I, I just looked at her, and I was kind of gone. <laughs> she opens the door, and just with both hands, just goes, Shh, and I go flying out there, and then she slams it back shut. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, dear God, what have I gotten myself into? So I'm sitting there, or standing there, I guess, and the, there's a nurse still st- sitting at the front desk, and she watches me. And there's it's probably about seven to ten steps, and she, she watched me, and they made fun of me for about three months on this. They, apparently, I walked like a flamingo with molasses on my feet on the way there because I was just going like this. But the truth is, I was just kind of trying to calm down. I was about as nervous as you can get, and if there was a stalling tactic... I was there doing it. So I'm doing that, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. Maybe God will give me some strength here. So I'm sitting there, and I'm going, amazing God, can you please give me hope and strength and guide me and help me comfort this family? Can you please let your light shine and let let you come through me here? Amen. Oh, and P.S., please don't let me get hit. So... I get over there, and I'm still so nervous that I can only do one thing at a time. So the dad starts kind of yelling at me, but since I can only do one thing at a time, I've tuned him out. So I lean over, and I help this doctor up. I'm like, are you okay? And he he just kind of looks at me and kind of nods his head, and he's just rubbing his jaw. And then he scurries as quick as he possibly can and leaves me there. And I'm like, great, great. So... Then I, I, leaned, I turned my attention towards the dad and I, I said the one thing that I had learned in the week and a half of chaplaincy. You don't say you understand on the situation. So I was like, okay. I cannot even imagine what you must be going through right now. But I just wanted to let you know that I'm here and I will support you through this. Now, he, that didn't fly so well. He just starts ripping into me. And he says, you know, he was like, how could you have helped that doctor that man just killed my daughter and you think you have an angry dad wait till you see a mom that is mad that you hurt their child I mean she just starts yelling at me and she says, she was like I want an autopsy and I want it now we're going to sue the hospital you need to take me you've got to handle this now I did exactly what you should not do here I got frustrated and I raised my voice but And I just looked at the dad, and I said, Sir, the doctor did not kill your your daughter. Cystic fibrosis killed your daughter. Now, what you have here is a staff of doctors, nurses, chaplains, and social workers that are going to be here to support you, not only your daughter, but you in this. And then I turned to the wife, and even more sternly, I looked at her and I said, Ma'am, I will be happy to take you to get an autopsy set up but I would really love to take you to see your daughter and your three children that still desperately need you. Now, I leaned out my hand, and I'm kind of hoping I'm not going to get slugged here, but luckily she took it, and we started walking back, and I'm sitting here thinking as we're making this walk from where they were to the patient's room, what am I going to say to the family? And I just got thrown it over my head here, but what happened was a sheer miracle because when I opened the door... The youngest daughter, she's about four or five, she runs up and grabs my other hand. She goes, you know what I love about my sissy? She taught me how to dance. And we dance in front of the TV all the time. And she cocks out her leg. She goes, look what she taught me. She just starts doing the twist. And it was the cutest thing. And her parents actually just, they cracked a smile for a second. And then they looked over and... They started surrounding their, their child's bed, and we kind of all, we all started surrounding as well. There was the head nurse in there, and then there was the three children. And we stood there in silence for a minute. And then the nurse chimes in, and she said, you know, whenever I have a bad day, I always come into this room. She just makes me smile all the time, and she's just full of laughter. I had one of the worst days ever, and I came in here, and she just put on this purple and pink tutu. It just came out here. And, and she just put on Cinderella, and we just spinned. We twirled and twirled around the room. And that child managed to just make me grin from ear to ear as I left. And then the 13-year-old little brother comes up, and he just goes, he looks down at her, said, you know, she just beat me up all the time. And, and y'all didn't even let me touch her back. And she he, and he made the motion. He was like, she just run up and just go whack and kick me right in the shin and then just run as far, as, as far and as fast as you could, just giggling the whole time. And the mom starts laughing, and she said, you know, she did that to show you she loved you. And he just looked at her and said, like, yeah, yeah. And then the mother starts talking, and she said, you know, this is probably two or three years ago that I, that my daughter was in a science class, and she learned about butterflies. She learned that when the caterpillar dies, they became a butterfly. And she came home from school, and she was obsessed with this. And she said, Mom, I'm that caterpillar, and I'm going to become a butterfly. And the mom said, you know, I tried to explain. I took a good hour explaining that, She was not actually going to become a butterfly. And then I just lost hope. She was obsessed with it, and so I was going to let her go with it. So she was actually in the hospital for about four or five months out of the year because of the disease she had. So whenever she was in the hospital, the mom left her with a book of plants they could actually pick out that brought butterflies around. So she could plant and make a butterfly garden while the little girl was out in the hospital. So when she came home, there would be butterflies around the house. And the mom was talking about it. And She said, you know, when she came home and, and saw the butterflies actually in the garden, she would just run and flap her arms. And she said, Mom, look, I'm a butterfly, I'm a butterfly. And the mom actually kind of started, she started tearing up a little. And it was the first time I actually saw the dad even look slightly vulnerable. And he just started caressing his, his wife's back, and he said, you know, you know what i love about my daughter is when i come home from work and she's she's there i'm actually excited to come home from work because every single time i'm there she just runs up and wraps both arms around my leg and she's dad i love you so much i'm so glad you're home now as as we continued on with the stories, the rest of the staff kind of started trickling in because she was there in that hospital almost half a year, just about every year since birth. And they all just came in with story after story and stayed there until about 2 o'clock in the morning. But from the parents, the immediate family story, my little theological mind starts clicking and I start thinking about what the dad had just said. And what that little girl did, she showed the dad grace on a daily basis. You know, if the dad was punching the doctors, I imagine his temper came out in other forms, and she showed showed her dad mercy and love and compassion every single time he came home. And that kind of set the tone for the way I would give pastoral care, at least close it up. And so I asked the family and staff in there, and I said, would you all mind holding hands and let's pray around the bed? And we closed up that way, and I, I said, amazing God, thank you so much for blessing us with this young child for eight amazing years. She has enriched all of our lives so much. She taught us to love life through dance, and she brought smiles and laughter into our lives on a daily basis. And This child taught us how to love nature and see life outside of our own and butterflies, and she showed us grace every day just through giving us hugs and telling us she loves us. Thank you so much for this amazing child. God, please let her joyful spirit just permeate through this family's lives as they leave the hospital and continue on their daily lives. Thanks be to you. Amen. Now, when I walked into that hospital room, the youngest daughter instantaneously took leadership. And she actually set the tone for pastoral care for that entire evening. She didn't punch anyone, and she didn't say, poor me. What she did is she exclaimed what she loved about her sister. And then she actually danced around the room. Now, in 2 Corinthians, that is exactly what Paul is doing. He's teaching us to act in a manner that is outside of our natural thought process. He's saying, When times get the toughest, praise God. Well, that's not our natural inclination. Usually, when times get tough, you say, God, help me, help me through this. Let's let's do this. Come on, please help me. Bless me. But that's not the example that Paul's leading us. He's saying when times are the toughest, that's when we bless God the most. When Paul actually wrote this letter to the Second Corinthians, he had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had been called a liar and a heretic. And he had actually been banished from cities from, just for teaching people God, about God. He was no stranger to suffering at all. But despite that, he starts the letter off and he says, Praise be to God, our Father of Jesus Christ. What Paul's doing here is he's leading by example to a place where healing can occur. He's leading us to God. Now, he's not saying that if you're praising God that you're not going to experience suffering. He actually goes on to say even Jesus, when he was here on earth, he experienced suffering. What Paul is teaching us and showing us by his example is the doorway out of affliction. He's showing us that praising God when times are the hardest helps get us out of this. When Christ died, he suffered immense amounts. He was humiliated, he was beaten, and then he was nailed to a cross and then left for hours to die of suffocation. It was out of that death and out of Christ's love for us that we are able to experience a profound comfort. And it's through grace that we're able to experience union with God. So what Paul is demonstrating is is that the source of our affliction can oftentimes be the places where God's consolation and comfort and encouragement find us in such abundant expressions. Now, that was the case in in our on-call case. That little girl's death, although tragic and suffering, her life was able to bring that family and everyone she touched so much comfort. Before I called the family this week to ask them if it was okay to give this sermon talking about this, and actually, because of HIPAA law, I had to send out requests and get consent forms and massive jump through massive hoops on this. But when I asked the mom about this she she said there was a long pause, and then she came back and she said, "You know, I've thought about it for a while of the reason why this happened." I've been trying to find purpose in it. You know, she she was only 8 years old. You know, why couldn't it have been me? And she said, you know, this year I I I have a I found my answer, or at least an answer that I'm comfortable with. And she said, I saw Christ through my daughter. It wasn't until after her daughter died that she actually came to God. And she explained to me. She said, you know, when we left the hospital, I actually locked myself in the room for about a week. And someone had left her a Bible in her room, so she just started reading it. And she said, you know, the Scripture came alive as I read it, because I read this, and I had already lived so much of it through my daughter. And my daughter taught me about God just in her life. So, you know, yeah, I'm okay with it. Tell my story because my daughter led me to God. And if she can do that for someone else, then her life is complete. So I sit there, and and I continue talking with her, and, and we talk for a couple hours, probably about two or three hours at this point. And she tells me how she, every time she sees a butterfly now, she just smiles, and she grins, and she says a little prayer, thanking God for that blessing and miracle in her life. And then she continued on, she said, you know, after everything i went through i just couldn't help but not do something for someone else so she joined a local church in louisiana and she started she started a support group for parents that have lost a sibling and they meet twice a month and she just she said you know i i, I really think i'm starting to make a difference here but the truth is is that those parents are helping me just as much as i'm helping them but i'm just i'm so glad i was able to do it and we talked for a little while longer, and then she she starts. She was just a hoot, but as I'm getting off the phone with her, she she busts out. She's from Southern Louisiana, by way of Mississippi, so she has a very deep South Southern accent. And as I'm getting off the phone, she goes, Mm, child. Now you know you are the only white girl that has ever put me in my place. I'm a scrawny little thing. So if you tell this story, you are going to make sure I sound tough." And I just start dying laughing. I'm like, okay, you got it. You are tough. So I'm making it very clear she is tough, and I was, I was afraid of her. You just don't mess with her. But more than she was tough, she was a beacon of strength. And what she did was embody the Scripture. She not only acted, at, she followed Paul's example and blessed God when times are the hardest. But then she used the comfort and consolation and mercy that she saw from God and then used that to comfort others. And that is exactly what Paul is asking us to do here. So, yes, she was tough, but she's exactly how we should act. Now, as over the past couple of days as I was formulating the sermon and trying to think exactly what to do, I started thinking about the butterfly analogy and thinking about how her daughter was reborn a butterfly. And then I thought again, and I was like, she wasn't the only one that was reborn. That mom was a butterfly through this experience. Dale, will you lead us in prayer to close this? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for all the many ways that you reveal yourself to us. We know that things aren't always as they seem, and what we see when we look at something in one package it's just there's gonna be more to it that if we'll just let go and release control to you that you've got more in store for us than we can take in with our senses or rationalize with our minds. Father, we praise you for everything that you've given to us this morning. We know that you reveal yourself to us through worship, through prayer through our actions, and through the preaching of your word. And we thank you for that gift. In Jesus Christ's holy name, amen.